Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. So today we're talking about sleep and especially sleep problems in children. Um, I love this topic as soon as I heard about it, especially because I got to sort of relate a little bit more to my childhood and how long it usually took me to fall asleep as a kid. And apparently the way that it's I've, I've done it or have done it in the past and the way that my parents probably started it as well is not the way that it's supposed to be. <laughs> But here to sort of help me understand it a little bit more and help us understand how to put your child to sleep properly is Edith Boschway. How are you going today? Um, good. Thank you, Dina. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to talk about sleeping children with you today. And um, let me say that I believe your parents did what was best <laughs> for you at the time. Okay, good. Okay, we have we have that. So if my parents are listening, then you did a good job. Yes. <laughs> All right. So now before we get started, do you mind talking a little bit about how you got started talking about sleep? Because it's very interesting from what she was telling me so far. Okay. Thank you. Um, so yeah, my name is Edith Butcher-Kome and I am originally from Ghana. I um, My interest in sleep really started during my bachelor's in Ghana um, when I was studying psychology. And I, I don't really know where that part of it started. But for my bachelor's thesis, for example, I did a research looking at the relationship between relaxation and music. So that kind of sleep, consciousness, relaxation topic has always been a thing. Mm -hmm. But the real love for sleep was kindled in me when I did my master's in the Netherlands. Um, mm -hmm. And there was this particular course we had called Cognitive Seminar in Cognitive Neuroscience. And as part of that course, we had a lecturer coming to talk about sleep and consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I was so fascinated by the topic that I, I I went to talk to the lecturer after the the this the class and I was like, I'm so interested in this. I think I want to learn more about it. Is there a way that I can learn more from you? Mm -hmm. So he offered the opportunity to volunteer with his lab at the Netherlands Neuroscience Institute. And I did that for like six to eight months. And it was such a great time because mm -hmm. I got to learn how to score sleep, sleep data. I was sitting in meetings where they're just talking about sleep mm -hmm. and sameness and all of that. And I just got so interested in the topic. After that ended, I continued to like, you know, still have like that interest in sleep, went on to do my master's thesis and something slightly different. But when I got to do my PhD with the University of Melbourne, that sleep interest that like, came back mm -hmm. and I ended up looking at sleep in young adults who had brain injury when they were children. Um, mm -hmm. And that is where, you know, the sleep in children and sleep, the impact of sleep in the long term mm -hmm. or impact of childhood sleep problems in the long term kind of evolved for me. Wow, it's very interesting journey of how you sort of fell in love with the whole yes, topic. Yeah, it's I'm not something that you talk about 
that often when it comes to children, especially. Yes. Until yes. afterwards, like me, for example. <laughs> yeah, until afterwards. And definitely in more recent times, this mm-hmm. is talked about a lot more. But like you rightly said, um, sleep was something that was relegated to the background. It's like, oh, you can... People would say things like we sleep more when we die and people say like sleep is a waste of time and all of these myths around sleep. But in recent times, research has really brought sleep to the limelight, teaching us more about the uh, importance of good sleep habits on Mm -hmm. our health and well-being. So I'm glad to be part of um, the research community that is contributing to educating and um, building up the research work on that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing, especially the amount of opportunities that you've gotten to work with the people sort of furthering their career as well. And you get to sort of see firsthand how yes. they do the research. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. It's been um, a delight, you know, working with very good researchers, learning from great researchers like my master's supervisor, Marsh Connings, excellent researcher, Professor Vicky Anderson, who a lot of people know mm-hmm. at the University of Melbourne, um, Kathy Ketropa. These are great researchers and I'm just so privileged to have the opportunity to learn from them how to do research and be a great researcher. Well, which I'm still aspiring to be, by the way. Well, from the amount of like searches that I've done in you is sort of look into your background a little bit. There's a lot of researchers that research that you've done so still, far. Still getting there. Yeah. <laughs> Very young. Um still an early career researcher, so I have a lot of learning and growing to do. But oh. yeah, thank you. Yes. Awesome. So before we get started, we love to start with a little icebreaker just to sort of get to know you okay. a little bit more. Yeah. So when I say these phrases mm-hmm. just come up with the first thing that sort of comes to your head okay let's do <laughs> <No> that <pressure. laughs> so the first one is a favorite book of yours um okay my favorite book at the moment is tribe of mentors mm-hmm. that book was recommended to me by um a colleague mentee of mine that mm-hmm. i met through a mentorship program years ago and um i have loved the book and i continue to learn from it i feel like i can't listen to it enough times because there's so much in there mm-hmm. and in this this book was written by tim ferris and in this book tim ferris interviews a group of um mentors that he calls like a travel of mentors yeah and he has a set of questions that he asks each person there are different lengths to the interview so some he may ask three some more questions depending on i don't know the time or mm-hmm. every any um some other factors and um it's just great to learn well so through those questions you get to learn a bit about who the people are but you really get to pick up on their motivation what drives them to do what they do but also things like how they are balancing the awesome things they are doing in their lives with their um with their families and like also maintaining their well-being and i've definitely picked up a lot from that Mm -hmm. um but one of the key things for me from that book is the questions that he asked they're such great questions Mm -hmm. and i have personally adopted some of those questions for my learning lunches or learning coffee times. So every now and then I'd approach someone that I really admire or think is doing really well in their field, whether research or in another field, mm-hmm. and just ask them for maybe a lunch or a coffee time. And during those questions, those times, I would ask some questions so that I can learn from their career journey or their life journey. Mm-hmm. And I use a lot of the questions that Tim uses because they are such great questions and they help yeah. you to learn from a person within a short time. So a question like, how has if a failure or an apparent failure sets you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? It's a great one that I like to ask. And I've yeah. learned a lot by asking people that question. Thank you. 
No, I think that's amazing just saying what they've done wrong or what they've sort of like failed at because yeah. you ask oh what have you achieved so often exactly but but no one wants to talk about the failure no exactly. exactly and I think we don't normalize that enough and that's and it's amazing I love those questions I'm probably gonna start to adapt those too because yeah. I love learning about that kind of way of people especially their reaction to that question yeah, yeah and how yeah and how like I love how people see failure mm-hmm. in their response to that question and um yeah, and it just really encourages you because we all fail at different things at different times, but it really encourages you to keep that positive perspective on things and keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so the next question is your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Uh, that's a really hard one to answer. So I love movies. I love m- mostly historical epic movies, but mm-hmm. I also really love action movies mm-hmm. that are based on maybe war or crime. Mm-hmm. And... Um, for action movies, I love anything with Jason Statham or Kenny Reeves in it. Yeah. And so you can imagine I'm really excited to watch um, John Wick 4 that just came out on the weekend. Yes. Um, my favorite movie at the moment will be John Wick. <laughs> we, okay. My husband and I just spent the last two weekends watching the one to three so that we can watch the four this weekend. Oh, I'm very excited <laughs> for that one. Yeah. And um, I love that movie, not just for the great action, mm-hmm. but also... I admire John Wick's dedication and commitment to love, freedom, and friendship. Mm-hmm. And I really root for him in his um, quest to conquer this dark world that's ruled by these powerful people who have obviously taken advantage of his commitment to the institution. Yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. I I also love the way that mm-hmm. the way that they they sort of slow the movie down and sort of understand him yeah. a whole lot more in each in yeah. each movie it's very yeah. different. It's it's very different. It's like okay, this is a badass assassin, but for some reason you end up liking him and you want to support him to, you know, achieve what he's trying to. Exactly. Yeah. Like a lot of people that watch it when they start watching it they're like, okay, so there's he's starting a fight because someone killed his dog. <laughs> Yeah, it's like someone killed your dog. Okay, so you're killing all these people because they yeah. killed your dog. But it's the so values underlying that is so much more deeper. Yeah, yeah. it shows his loyalty to yes. to the, everything that sort of comes his way. Yes, and I think yes. that's what we always forget. We forget about mm. the loyalty mm. of the characters. Yeah, so, no yeah. matter how small that thing or may seem. Yeah, so exactly. Really cool. Yes. Good to know you like it. So have you seen the four? I haven't seen four yet. It's on my list and I'm waiting until I have free time. I, probably this weekend I'll go quickly rush in and see it. I'm going to do that. <laughs> I also heard that it was Jason Statham as well as your favorite um, one, favorite sort of actor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's been probably my crush since I was very young, <laughs> which is very bad because he's probably 30 really? years older than me. Um, but yeah, he's, Gosh, I don't know. his dedication. Yes. <laughs> and his, the way that he does his own stunts as well is also one of the big things for yeah. me. Oh, he's awesome. I just, I, I think I've watched all his movies. Yes. Like, pretty much. Same. <laughs> yeah. I'm very much the <laughs> So the next question is a favorite podcast of yours. Um, yeah. Okay. So I really like podcasts, Mm -hmm. um, because I grew up listening to a lot of radio talk shows. And so podcast is a great replacement for me now. Mm -hmm. Um, my favorite genre are around, um, leadership, personal development and high performance. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, 
I have three favorite shows that okay. I follow quite regularly. So they are the John Maxwell Leadership Podcast, the Motivation with Brendan Burchard show, and mm-hmm. then um, Impact Theory with Team Bilio. Okay. So what about them do you really do you really admire in their shows? Um, the John Maxwell one, for example, brings on a lot of great people. Well, the, the team itself are like the bedrock of leadership training in the U.S. especially, but they've mm-hmm. also done a lot of training around the world and keep grooming leaders in different sectors on how to lead. Mm-hmm. So you listen to that show, as junior as I am, still opens me up to some of the insights about leadership. And I feel like I just it's just such a topic that I enjoy listening to. <laughs> yep. um, but you also get a lot of motivation and tips on how to, you know, build your life, work-life balance. So they kind of mix it up a little bit. It's not all just leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Brendan's show is great. He kind of, <laughs> like, sometimes some of the tips he shares is like, okay, he's really disciplining me now. Um, things like... <sighs> how to schedule your day. So practical things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how to make sure that you're not procrastinating. So it gives you tips on how to how to, how to to limit procrastination and very practical things. So um, I just like to do things that I do well. Mm-hmm. And I think these shows help me with little and sometimes big tips on how to structure my life so that I'm, I'm, I'm doing things well. Yeah. Like that, I it's really important to me that when I commit to something, I'm doing it really well. Yes. Um, and I think the tips that I learned from these shows help me. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> um, so this sort of fits in really nicely to mm-hmm. a famous role model of yours. Yeah, that that's such a hard question because <laughs> so many people have influenced my 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 thinking, mm-hmm. my my career, and who I am today, including my family and a lot of mentors Mm -hmm. so it's hard to single out one but I think um a famous one would be Michelle Obama and Mm -hmm. the reason is because I really admire her zeal for life social justice and humanity in general you know just wanting people to do well and want to suffer people yeah but I also really respect how she prioritizes her family Mm -hmm. how that she shows that so well and I admire that yeah no I think she's one of the biggest influences for Mm -hmm me as well like just Mm -hmm. the way that she sort of brings out like you can tell what she stands for the minute that you meet her yes the minute that she's on an interview you know exactly what she's interested in yeah so I love the way that she carries herself through everything so (laughs) yeah and that's it's amazing it's amazing just how influential one person can be I know and yeah I've heard conversations around whether change requires a group of great people or one person. And I say, I think it's more driven by one person who has the right, um, whose heart is in the right place for whatever cause it is. And then they can bring people around to um, effect that change. And I think she's definitely one of the great people who is able to do that very well. Yes. No, I definitely agree with that. (laughs) Uh, And the last question is, a course that you have completed that you really enjoyed? Um, yeah, I think I've kind of touched on this a little bit in my introduction. So yeah. that would be the cognit- seminar in cognitive neuroscience course. And that's because it introduced me to sleep and really ignited my love for sleep research. And I'm really grateful that I was in that course and that I um, got to be in that lecture. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, and I remember one of the things that I felt the first time that I listened to that lecture was, this is so fascinating. So it was mainly based on the neuroscience aspects of sleep, like brain areas involved and how, you know, all of that. And it was so good. And I was like, this is so fascinating. I could talk about it my whole life and not get bored because <laughs> there are so many facets of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Um, so going into, we're starting the questions now and sort of talking about um, talking about sleep mm. and talking about children's problem in sleeping. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about it in the introduction, sort of how you got into it. Yeah. Um, before we get started, we love to have the question with every guest. Mm-hmm. What do you think is your definition of parenting? Parenting. Hmm. That's a very interesting question, considering that I'm not yet a parent, <laughs> aspiring, but not yet. So I think that parenting is a unique and um, privileged opportunity to love, mm-hmm. care for and guide a young person through life. I think um, parenting is one of the most amazing things a person can get to do in life. But Mm -hmm. I also think it can be very challenging because every child is so unique Mm -hmm. and requires to be parented per their unique um, qualities and aspirations. Mm -hmm. That's a really good definition. Mm. (laughs) I think because everyone has a very Mm. different understanding as Mm. to Mm. how it could be a positive or negative experience Mm. for each individual, which sort of sets the definition for parents yeah 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 yeah. i feel so too and i think when you don't have kids yes the definition can be very positive (laughs) yes no exactly and i think until you're living the experience um but fingers crossed it's gonna be good (laughs) yes i um i have a lot of friends who have kids and i'm like i love hanging out with you and then i get to hand you back (laughs) so like the moment that i get to hang out i get the fun part yeah and then they get the fun aunt dina but but the rest of the time they have their mom. And I'm like, I'm glad I get to toss you back to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just deal with the nice parts of them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting. So talking about sleep, how do you define the sleep problem of children? Okay. Thank you for the question. Um, before I move on to talking about sleep mm-hmm. problem, how I define sleep problems in children, I'd like to mentioned that I assume that in this podcast we are using the words children broadly to cover all humans between 0 and 18 years old mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think that emphasis is important because sleep looks quite different for different age groups okay so the 0 to um, 18 year olds in the within the literature there are subdivisions to it so children between 0 to 12 months are called infants um, Children between one to two years are toddlers. Um, mm-hmm. Children between preschool, sorry, between three and five are preschoolers. Mm-hmm. Um, and 12 to, sorry, six to 12 year olds are school age kids. And then 13 to 18 are teens. So going forward in my responses, I will try to touch on the sleep problems for these developmental age groups because sometimes they are a bit different. Sometimes yep. I'll lump some groups together if they're a bit more similar. Okay. But I'll try to just delve through that so that every parent that's listening, depending on the age of their child, can get something out of this podcast that can be helpful for um, their child's sleep. Mm-hmm. So now to answer your question, I define sleep problems in children as any sleep-related um, issue that is or can affect the child's health, well-being, and um, functioning. Mm -hmm. In Australia and worldwide, it is estimated that about 20 to 40% of children and adolescents 
experienced some sort of sleep problem within this 0 to 18 year um, group. Mm -hmm. And it is important to know that this incidence rate is a lot higher in children with certain disorders or neurodevelopmental disorders like kids with ADHD mm -hmm. or autism or cerebral palsy or brain injury. So within that, those populations, the incidence rate tends to be between um, 40 to 70%, depending on, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, those kids and those families tend to have it a bit harder than kids without those kind of problems. Yeah. So when it comes to the sleep problem, mm. why, for example, like the question that mm. it comes up, how do you define sleep problem? What usually is the definition of a sleep problem then? Yeah. Um, so it is any problem sleep related mm -hmm. and sometimes wake related mm -hmm. that um, so when I say wake related, something like daytime sleepiness yeah. that um, has an effect on the child's functioning. So if there's a visible effect on the child's functioning and that problem has been going on for a while, mostly between like one to three months. Mm -hmm. And if it's happening maybe more than three days in a given week, yeah. three or more days in a given week, then that's, could be a sleep problem, but I can't, every sleep problem has different definition that mm -hmm. like there are different kinds of sleep yep. disorders. So each of them has got their different definitions, but this is the broad definition that you can give to sleep problems. So okay. there's a problem that is affecting the child's functioning, whether it's making them more sleepy during the day or they are not concentrating in class or something then, which you can connect to sleep, then yeah, you can call that a sleep problem. Okay. <laughs> so what is the association between mm. the problem of children sleeping and sort of parenting and parenting techniques or skills? Okay, that's a, such a great question because in my opinion, this is an aspect of child sleep health that needs to be talked about a bit more mm -hmm. um, so that parents can know maybe what they're doing or what they can do to help their child, children sleep better. And I should mention that um, the association between child sleep problems and parenting can look quite different in different, depending on the age of the child. So mm -hmm. I'm going to talk through this, um, starting with the zero to five year olds. And I would say that you should bear with me because I'm going to go through a bit of research um, findings, but mm -hmm. also um, I'll do that for different developmental ages. Okay. Um, so I'll start with the zero to five year olds. Mm -hmm. And in this group, one study looked at um, the relationship between parenting behaviors and sleep in infants and toddlers, right? So that, um, yeah, zero to two year olds. And they concluded that um, high levels of parenting involvement in soothing at bedtime, mm -hmm. but also throughout the night is associated with fragmented sleep in infants. That study was done by a group in Israel um, led by someone called Seder mm -hmm. and it was published in the Journal of Sleep Medicine in 2010. Okay. So um, this finding shows that when parents are overly involved in soothing the child and especially are there for them to, when the child falls asleep, mm -hmm. the child tends to um, have limited capacity to do, to self-soothe or self-regulate to sleep. Mm -hmm. And that means that they become dependent on receiving that soothing technique or that whatever the parents is doing to help them sleep whenever they need to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, 
there was another study that was done in preschoolers and that study focused on three to four year olds. That study was actually done in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a longitudinal study looking at early predictors of later sleep problems in three to four year olds. It was led by someone called Lam and was published in Pediatrics in um, 2003. So an old one, but a really good study. And in that study, they showed that mothers of children with sleep problems reported significantly higher depression symptoms and more limitations in their daily functioning. So again, showing that having a child, so that finding shows shows that having a child with sleep problem is related (laughs) with poor mental and physical health in the parent. Um, But I should mention that there are some other studies that have showed the opposite effect, that having um, a child with... um, having a parent with maybe psychological issues mm-hmm. actually impacts on the child's sleep health. And we will see that as I continue to talk about this. Okay. So it's a good thing to keep in mind. So there's a bit of a bi-directional relationship there, okay. depending on the age group. Um, still in this zero to five year group, a lot of studies have showed associations between child sleep problems and parenting mm-hmm. and, and, and have related that to things like the child's intrinsic factors so things like the health state of the child mm-hmm. or the temperament of the child. So, for example, if a child is a bit sick, so mm-hmm. maybe has neurodevelopmental condition, then that child may tend to need a bit more attention at bedtime. And so that that health situation may be interfering with how well the parents can practice some of the things that I would recommend later. Mm-hmm. However, um, it is good to like keep in mind the good practices, even in those challenging situations so that you're helping yourself, but also helping the child become independent and in sleeping gradually. Okay. Um, then some of these studies have also related child sleep problems with parenting interactive factors, okay. like the parent's attachment style, so how uh, the parents yeah. like to connect with the child or their soothing methods. So, yeah. for example, if a parent prefers to bottle feed or nurse the child to sleep mm-hmm. and the child gets used to that, then even when they wake up in the night, they want the parent to come nurse them to sleep. Mm-hmm. So that those kind of factors also kind of yeah. um, explain some of the... some of the variance in the relationship between sleep problems in children and parenting. Yeah. So I'll move on now to talk about the 6 to 12-year-olds. Okay. And in this age group, similar research has been re- similar research findings has been reported as I discussed in the 0 to 5-year-old age group. So one of the such studies was led by someone called Burgess. It was um, a study that involved 107 children and the kids were between 0 to 12 years old, I'm sorry, 2 to 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And they reported that parents of children with sleep disorders reported higher levels of daytime sleepiness and poor daytime functioning. And again, this shows that um, having a child with sleep problems sometimes can impact on the parents functioning during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And in addition, within this 6 to 12 year group, the relationship between parenting and child sleep problems has been associated with things like the parents' routine. Mm-hmm. So it's either that there's no routine or that the routine is inconsistent yeah. that can affect the child's sleep pattern or the child's ability to sleep well. Okay. Is there um, a different routine between when they're two to the earlier stages mm-hmm. and to now and to sort of six to 12? Is there a very different sort of... 
way that a yeah. routine should be set in place? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that there the, the can be any like rules around what a routine should be for a family mm-hmm. uh, because those things really depend on what works for the family, you know, their work yeah. arrangements, whether they're working from home or working shifts and all of this is so complex. Yes. So the general advice is like for parents to try to develop routines that work for their family Mm -hmm. but keep in mind that maybe your child needs this amount of sleep and they should be getting that their routine should be worked out to make sure they're getting that amount of sleep and okay and things like that but i think that definitely when the child is very young between zero to three months old yeah parents don't have a choice of routine it's like no it's whenever the kid wants to fall asleep exactly (laughs) your life is kind of revolving around the kid yes so that's a very different story from later on when the child maybe has a more stable circadian rhythm and they mm-hmm. um and you can kind of work around that and have them sleep more as when you want them okay, to. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah. So when they're like going back to the zero to three month old and mm-hmm. um, is there like I know a, f- a couple of videos that I've seen throughout mm-hmm. social media is the soothing method. And there yeah. are different soothing methods. Yeah. There is one that I've seen recently mm-hmm. of the only way for the child to fall asleep is for the parent to sleep either in the crib with them or to sleep in the bed with them. Yeah. And that's the routine that they've found works yeah. with the family. Yeah. Can that sort of affect the relationship between a parent and a child later on in life? Say, for example, they're six mm-hmm. to 12. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting question. And I, I hope that I wish that I had more literature to answer, mm-hmm. especially the later part of your question about whether that can affect the relationship between the parents and child. I don't know. Okay. Um, it'll be interesting to, I can get back to you on that if yes. you want. Yes, I'd <laughs> to love know to know if there's some research work looking at the relationship between that particular soothing method and yeah. later. Um, yeah. So there's a whole lot of different ways that it's yeah. a parent can sort of send the like influence a child's sleep yes in either a positive and a negative or a negative way, way. Yeah. yeah so especially when it comes to i think what was interesting when you mm. said earlier when you talked about the parent also going through some things or dealing mm, with mm, their mm, own mm, life mm. as well and then having to sort of deal with a child at the end of it yeah and their lifestyle can severely be dependent on either be dependent of the child mm-hmm. or um can also influence a child's way of sleeping yes it's really interesting it's really interesting you know how about that parenting style and just even the parents mood so you can imagine if maybe a parent is not getting good sleep for mm-hmm let's say three months and so they're just their mood is just not in the best place over that period and over that time they are probably not so aware of things going on with the child or having as much time to listen or support the child as possible and that goes on for a prolonged period that can really impact on the child's psychological health but also yeah just sleep as we have learned yeah yeah so we're talking about amount of sleep and Mm -hmm. just the amount of sleep that a child is supposed to have. Yeah. We know that different stages, um, I think it's always said, and I think I've yeah. seen it somewhere, that different ages, age groups are meant to have a different hours of sleep. Yes. And does Very it? Very much so. So what are the ages that, are, the age range that mm. is sort of recommended the sleep to be um, influenced by? Yes. Um. Thank you for asking that question. Um. Generally, 
um, the amount of sleep that's considered necessary for a person tends to change across the lifespan. Mm-hmm. And generally, we tend to have more sleep as infants, but the amount of sleep required tends to decrease as we grow older. Mm-hmm. So like you rightly said, there are different recommendations for different age groups. And mm-hmm. um, there are a couple of organizations and websites that put out recommendations, but the ones, and, and they are very similar in the amount of sleep they are recommending for age groups Mm -hmm. but the information i'm about to share is from the sleep health foundation of australia so that's the australia's um sleep um research or and practice body and they are internationally recognized Mm -hmm. so based on the recommendations from the sleep health foundation of australia Mm -hmm. newborns between zero to three months old are recommended to have 14 to 17 hours of sleep per 24 hours Mm -hmm. including naps and i should mention that children are not born with a circadian rhythm so their brain is not able to distinguish day from night um and so that's why kids within the zero to three months old have got such sporadic sleep patterns sleeping multiple times during the day and also at night mm-hmm. um their sleep their circadian rhythm tends to start developing between six to eight weeks um and so that's when some stability begins to form okay um and during this time um they typically would take about two hours to three hours of sleep you know like random sleep periods all throughout the day mm-hmm. including naps um based on the recommendations four to eleven month olds are recommended to have 12 to 15 hours of sleep per 24 hours, including naps. Mm-hmm. One to two-year-olds are recommended to have 11 to 14 hours of sleep per 24 hours, including naps. And um, three to five-year-olds, so three to five-year-olds are recommended to have 10 to 13 hours of sleep per 24 hours, including naps. And I should mention that naps tend to cease around this three to five year period. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a child that's a lot older than three to five and keeps taking so many naps during the day for extended periods, then you probably want to talk to your GP about that and see if everything is okay. Um Six to 12 year olds are recommended to have nine to 11 hours of sleep per 24 hours. And 13 to 18-year-olds are recommended to have 8 to 10 hours of sleep per 24 hours. Um, Mm. I'd like to add that the hours of sleep that a child needs are very different for each child. Mm -hmm. So it's important that parents observe their child, you know your child, but also know your child's sleep preference and their patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, however, highly recommended that your child gets the same amount of sleep every night and well, almost every night, and that the amount of sleep that your child is getting is within or close to the recommended range sleep range for their age group. It is also important that um, parents set a sleep time that allows the child to get sufficient amount of sleep for their age group. So, for example, if you have a household where there is a teenager who is 14 years old mm-hmm. and... Um, and a school-age kid who is eight years old, you want to set different sleep times for these kids because their sleep, the amount of sleep they need is quite different. Yeah. So you want to put the eight-year-old to sleep a bit earlier than the 14-year-old um, so that you don't frustrate the 14-year-old by putting them to sleep too early, yeah. but also so that you are not putting the eight-year-old a bit to sleep a bit too late that they don't get enough sleep. So it's really important to be aware of these recommendations so that um, each child is getting this amount of sleep that they need to feel well rested. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's it's amazing just how mm. how much was researched into the amount of hours recommended. And yes. it's always fascinating yeah. to me when they say that there are steps, there are hours that you, a child should fall asleep for. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's different for each age is, yes. is, is very interesting. Imagine like the research going into it. Yes. To discover so it. much work has gone th- into that over mm-hmm. the years yeah. to come up with these recommendations. And, you know, research is always evolving. So as research evolves, there are um, some recommendations are adopted, sometimes also for um specific setting so when you look at recommendations for this um from the um american what um center for disease and disease prevention i think it's called their recommendations are very similar to the recommendations for from the sleep health foundation of australia but i think for one age group it's slightly like different by one hour yeah so yeah i think they do that based on their recommendations are provided based on what is most practical for the setting, mm-hmm. um, but also based on the science of how much sleep kids within that age group actually need to to be on their best um, function and behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's always especially when talking about I know like the early ages, mm-hmm. the zero to three one is very interesting especially the six to eight months that they're mm. just constantly going to be falling asleep whenever yeah. they... Yeah, the, the zero to three months. Yeah. The, the first six to eight weeks. Yeah, yes. When they are constantly... Yeah, it's so interesting how the brain evolves to yeah. um, know to developing the circadian rhythm and just using that light cue to distinguish between day and night. Yeah, because yeah. it must be those first few, those six to eight weeks must be so difficult for a parent as well just to I know can imagine <laughs> to know the child's sleep schedule yeah, and to know yeah. that they're just gonna fall asleep yeah. whenever yeah um it's just so hard especially the first few days when it's just like Oof, okay now exactly. they're sleeping what do we do <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there's a, this is a really interesting question this mm. is a question that i think is very i when i first thought about it when I first sort of came up with it and Mm. when I first discussed it with the rest of the team Mm. it was very interesting to me because I'd love to know the different kind of indications that Mm. a child is that a child sort of signs out when experiencing sleep problems yeah that's a very good question because it gives the opportunity to actually show parents yeah and some of the things to look out for so that they can help their children in this aspect of your health. So um, I think that the behaviors and signs that indicate that a child is not having enough sleep can be similar, Mm -hmm. but also differ slightly between ages. So I'll first talk about the zero to five year olds, and then I'll talk about six to 18 years, because I think they're quite similar Similar. within those bands. Um, So I think parents who have kids between zero to five years old should be a bit concerned if they see signs of, um, if they see these signs consistently over days or weeks. So things like the child appearing tired most of the time, um, if the child is irritable most of the time, if the child lacks interest in people and envir- in the environment, if especially if they are looking away from things that usually stimulates them or gets them excited, if mm-hmm. the child is flattering their eyelids a lot during the day, it's probably because maybe they're sleepy mm-hmm. or they're yawning a lot, um, these zero to five-year-olds. Um, that can be an indication that, okay, probably didn't sleep well. Mm-hmm. Um, if the child appears to have trouble breathing, 
or snoring or it's just breathing noise um, with a lot of noise, then it's probably an indication that maybe if that goes on for a prolonged period, then you probably want to get their, uh, their, um, their respiratory system checked just to make sure there's no blockage. So mm-hmm. that's preventing them from, from breathing well during sleeping. Uh, if your child has unusual nighttime awakenings or night fears or terrors that mm-hmm. is con- to a concerning level, yeah. then um, then you probably want to talk to your GP about that. And last is that if your child is obviously maybe not getting enough sleep, pay the recommendations that I talked about with regards to how much sleep um, children should be getting depending on their age, then mm-hmm. you probably want to pay attention to that so that you're giving them a bit more opportunity to get the amount of sleep that they need. Mm-hmm. I'll now move on to the six to 18 year olds. And um, for this age group, I think parents should be concerned if they see the signs consistently over days or weeks. So mm-hmm. if the child, um, what the school age child or adolescent has pro- problems waking up in the morning if you have to drag them out of bed pretty much every single day yep. um, then it's probably sometimes it may be because they are tired or being a bit lazy or just want to spend a bit more time in bed depending on what is in the bed but um, sometimes it may be because they are not well rested and you probably want to consider whether they are sleeping enough and mm-hmm. why they're behaving like that um, if your child has early morning or chronic headaches pretty much every morning um that can sometimes be a symptom of and in that can sometimes be an indication that they are not breathing well during sleep because some studies have found that um chronic headaches in children around this age is associated with sleep apnea Mm -hmm. so yeah that's yeah and um what is um sleep apnea Yes. For those who don't know. Yes. Thank you for asking that question. Um, so sleep apnea is when breathing suddenly s- repeatedly stops and starts during sleep. Okay. So um person is sleeping and repeatedly their breathing is just stopping oh. and starting and sometimes they are trying to gasp for breath. Yeah. That's sleep apnea. Um, oh, I and there are different know. types of sleep okay. apnea. So you'd have to get assessed to determine what type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, for the six to eight year olds, another sign that indicates that they are not getting, sorry, six to 18 year olds, Mm -hmm. another sign that indicates that they're not getting enough sleep is poor concentration during the day. Also daytime sleepiness and daytime sleepiness is a tendency to inadvertently fall asleep during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, also mood swings and irritability is a big sign in this group. So yeah, it's like always irritable or just yeah constantly yes Yes, i can definitely see that happens that being a sign for sure (laughs) yeah yeah that's a big one um also if the child is consistently snoring or showing that they are having difficulties breathing during sleep you want to talk to your gp about that frequent cold and infections are also a sign can also be a sign of um sleep poor sleep or that the child is not getting sufficient sleep. And mm-hmm. a lot of studies have showed this. And this is because sleep is so important for the development of the immune system, but also for the fortification of the immune system. Okay. So if a child is not getting sufficient sleep over a prolonged period, then their immune system may become more vulnerable and be at a greater risk of having colds and infections. Mm-hmm. Um, next one is hyperactivity. And, um, Sometimes this can be mistaken for ADHD, but sometimes um, when your child feels like they're bouncing off the wall all the time, it's probably because they are not 
who are arrested. Um, and you okay. probably want to get that check as part of assessments um, that you want to do to see what, what's, what's happening. Why are they so hyperactive? Mm-hmm. Um, then the last one for this age group is poor academic performance. So um, sleep is really important to help with concentration and attention and memory. So if the child is not having enough sleep, or it's not well rested over an extended period, then we can imagine how that can translate into poor academic performance over time. Yes, thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting because there are some obvious signs. Yeah, and there are some that you can mistake for another for thing. Other things, yes. And it's especially when it comes to the different age brackets, like between the zero to five and yeah. six to twelve. There's a very different. The very different signs. The very different signs. Um, and, and that's why it's so um, I'm so glad to be on this podcast yeah. and have this discussion with you so that we can inform parents on what to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's 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 very tricky. Um, so and that's why it's so important to talk to, not to assume that, oh, my child has ADHD because yeah. maybe they look so similar to this other child who was just diagnosed with ADHD mm-hmm. and they're in the same class. But um, have your GP, talk to your GP, maybe talk to a child psychologist or a sleep specialist if you think it may be sleep related so that you can, you know, that you are ruling out all other, any other possible uh, medical um factors that will be maybe leading to what your child is experiencing yeah i think i think especially when it comes to the zero to five i think just the fact that kids falling asleep at any point of the day is a very is a very good sign Mm, 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 and mm, mm. how how does it sort of affect um the child's performance so you're talking about mood swings as well Mm -hmm. being a big sign of like irritability mm-hmm, being a big mm-hmm, sign. Is mm-hmm. that also something that zero to five year olds can feel it go through as well? Um, yes. Yes. So I okay. think when I talked about zero to five, yeah. I also mentioned irritability. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in that age group, that's a big sign. Yeah, you know, that aggressive behavior and irritability just throwing tantrums throughout the day. Yeah. yeah. So there's always a reason for that as yeah. well yes because it always just thought of the child being naughty or the child just a sort lot of, of the times up. it's just easy to just um just yeah assume okay they're just acting up or they're just a naughty child but um sometimes it may be because they've not slept well or that they are in some some sort of pain mm-hmm. and sometimes it takes parents a couple of days to figure out what is happening oh, wow okay that oh okay maybe it's because oh they have this pain in the ear or something that's why they were so irritable yeah um or just that they didn't sleep it's like, well. Wow, yeah. that's it's amazing just the amount of signs that the child gives away <laughs> without you even having to like ask them. Yes, yes, yes. And like um, being a parent, you'd have to like completely focus on like, how my child easy okay? it is to miss it. Yes, exactly. Uh, but but there is also this part where you know if you become so obsessed about focusing on every single sign that your child is in like yes. showing this, it can drive a person crazy. You know, yes. okay, what's happening with them right now? Okay, they weren't doing this yesterday. I think just take it easy. No, yes, <laughs> I, I think there's, there's so much that a parent would have to look out for. If There'll that's be the case. so much, and it can get so stressful. So. Um, be be kind to yourself you know um parenting is a lot and i think everyone is trying to be the best parent that they can Mm -hmm. and i think even the effort to listen to a podcast like this is because you're trying to be the best parent you can for your child so pick what will work for your family 
apply mm-hmm. those recommendations and definitely get help when you feel like you need it, but don't be too hard on yourself. Yes. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's the go-to, that's the go-to mantra for it. every time <laughs> this show comes on. It's always something we say, just take it easy and just take, learn, yeah. just learn your child. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're here for. So it, yeah. it's amazing that there are people that go and research it I and know, look into I it. I know. And it's, it's such a blessing, I think, to have that amount of research and knowledge on how to help kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it I think it makes it helps make the work of parents a bit easier. Yes. Yes. I can definitely <laughs> see this this a topic really helping a lot of parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um so going back into the amount of problems that can sort of come about, mm-hmm. what are some common um sleep problems that a child can experience throughout their um Without falling asleep and just the amount yeah. of things that they can also put a parent through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another great question. Um, I think that the, the common sleep problems that kids experience mm-hmm. throughout the childhood can differ per developmental stages. So I'm just going to talk through that stage by stage. Yep. And so bear with me. Um, so I'll start with the zero to two year old, so okay. infants and toddlers. And in this age group, they of kids can often present with difficulty falling asleep independently. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to, you know, things like um, how they get attached to the soothing style or method that the parent is using to put them to sleep. So whether it is bottle or nurse, bottle feeding or nursing mm-hmm. or rocking or, you know, just moving them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, when the child becomes dependent on that, they can have problems going to sleep independently. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also multiple, they can also present with multiple and prolonged night awakens. And I should mention here that night awakens are quite normal, even for adults, a normal sleep when you see it on maybe EEG um, or um, some other sleep device doesn't look like, okay, I went to sleep and I just had a deep sleep and I woke up in the morning. It's not mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So a normal sleep for adults comes in phases. So we've got like phase one of sleep. First you're drowsy and then you fall asleep. You go into phase one of sleep, which is mm-hmm. like the light phase of sleep. You go into what we call stage two sleep and then stage three, which is deep sleep. And then you go to REM sleep and back to phase one. So a typical adult would do this cycle multiple times, maybe three, four times in the night. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for a child, they, they, they definitely are not sleeping throughout the night. So some wake up would happen, Mm -hmm. but I think the key thing is the child's ability to maybe even if the child is maybe very young and needs to be fed, because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the feeding routines. Yeah. Um, after that feeding that the child is able to return to sleep independently to some capacity is helpful. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what becomes problematic is if w- those wake periods are just so long and it's crying and yeah, yeah then, then, then maybe there's some attachment to something that, that they need that is not being given to them. Okay. Um, and so trying to identify what that is and trying to help the child to gain some independence around that can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. So it's like an internal routine. Internal. So it's not something that's like set in place, but it's just something that they got used to. So, yeah. Yeah. Something that they got used to because it was set in place okay. because that was what the parents were using, like okay. maybe carrying them to fall asleep or maybe having them feeding while they fall asleep oh, or rocking okay. them all the time. So then anytime they wake up, mm-hmm. even after you fed them in the middle of the night, you have to rock them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Because they're used to doing that. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's, that's 
uh, okay. what that refers to. And the other problems, the problem that's quite common in zero to two year olds is early rising. So just waking up really early in the morning, yep. which can drive some parents <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yes. um, I'll move on to the three to five year olds. Okay. One of the common problems in them, again, in those in that age group is, again, difficulty falling asleep independently. So if those if that is not resolved early on, then that can transition into this age group where they, they would experience problems like that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, multiple and prolonged night awakenings is common in this group. Um, in this age group, three to five year olds, nightmares and night um, f- related fears are very common. Mm-hmm. It's actually normal for this developmental age. For some reason, kids in this age group just have a lot of fears around sleep and also yeah. like around darkness and nights, but also a lot of nightmares. Mm-hmm. Also sleepwalking and sleep terrors are very common in okay. this age group. So don't be too alarmed if it happens in your child. Yep. Unless it's happening at concerning levels, then you probably want to get that checked. Okay. And I should mention that there's night terrors and sleepwalking tends to peak around this developmental age. Okay. Um, and then the final one that I would like to talk about for this age group is sleep breathing disorder. So whether it's just like snoring, snoring related or sleep apnea. Okay. Um, moving on to the six to 12 year olds. Some of the common sleep problems with them are sleepwalking, again, night terrors, um, teeth grinding and mm-hmm. teeth grinding happens in kids sometimes even during the day but research shows that when it's during the day is associated with some stress or some anxiety but in the night um if it happens during the night some imaging research is showing that that may be related to upper airway problems so they may be struggling to breathe and Mm -hmm. that's probably why they're grinding their teeth so you probably want to get that checked if you notice consistent teeth grinding in your six to twelve year old um Snoring and noisy breathing is also one common problem in this group. Also insomnia and insomnia is defined as difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep or just feeling unrested in the morning, even though it looks like the child has had sufficient opportunity to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, Daytime sleepiness is also another one. And like I defined before, that is a tendency to inadvertently fall asleep during the day. And then finally, bedwetting may be happening in this okay. age range. Yeah. Um, finally, I'll talk about sleep problems in the teenagers. So 13 to 18 year olds. In the 13 to 18 year olds, um, parents will notice a preference for later bedtimes mm-hmm. and um, longer sleep duration and later wake times. Now... I would talk, I think there will be opportunity later in the discussion to talk a bit more about why teens have a preference for this because mm-hmm. there are biological explanations to it. Mm-hmm. It's not all acting up. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And when this preference for later wake times and later, sorry, later bedtimes and later wake times become so chronic mm-hmm. to the point where the teen wants to go to bed more than two hours later than is socially or conventionally acceptable, or they want to wake up more than two hours later than socially or conventionally acceptable, then they may be diagnosed or may be at risk of a condition called delayed sleep phase disorder where their sleep phase is just, you know, delayed um, in comparison to what a normal sleep phase or circadian rhythm should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, Teens also experience insomnia, which I defined just moments ago. Also daytime sleepiness. They also 
at, are at a high risk of um, periodic limb movement disorders. So mm-hmm. that is when the leg and arms twitch or jerk at night. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you seen that before? I've seen that before. Yeah, yeah I think I, I think um, a couple of my friends, they just, they still do that. <laughs> and they fall asleep and they sort of just jerk, jerk now and again. Yeah. And it's very interesting. Like, yeah. I didn't know that that was sort of a, a, yeah. a sleeping problem. You want to talk to them about talking to their GP about yeah. that? Yeah, I might sort um, of recommend that to them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the reason why that is important is that those jerks, even though they don't jerk up, out of sleep to maybe consciously be awake Mm -hmm. it is sort of like disrupting their sleep somehow so they may not be getting as much deep sleep as they need oh okay um and another common one in teens is restless leg syndrome restless leg syndrome and that is just the edge to keep moving the legs in sleep and that's because the person is either experiencing some tingling itching or burning sensation in their leg that makes them want to like move it so that they can um reduce the discomfort Sleep wow. apnea can also be common in teens. So yeah. when they are struggling to breathe during sleep or when they are breathing repeatedly starts and stops during sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, nightmares are mostly common um, in, in teens and those can be triggered by stress or anxiety in this age group, you know, anxiety about school well, and all of that. <laughs> um, I can relate to that. Um and uh, I used to like in my younger ages. I used to like dream about books and like, what's like <laughs> the exam and what yes. I'm gonna be writing. And oh all. yes, oh yes, so, I can relate to that yeah, one. So, and some of them are horror, horrific ones. So yeah, um, sleepwalking is something that's quite prevalent in kids, like so the younger ages. But mm-hmm. sometimes some teens and um, adults also experience sleepwalking. Yeah. Narcolepsy is the last one I'd like to talk about for teens. And um, narcolepsy is quite rare. Um, But but the symptoms of narcolepsy for people who have it typically starts between teen years and childhood. And narcolepsy is a syndrome or a condition where a person suddenly just falls asleep during the day. So you know how when you're naturally feeling sleepy, maybe you're tired and then you're yawning, then you fall asleep. Mm -hmm. That's natural. But in narcolepsy, that person just drops asleep. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, And and, and so there's not that natural flow to it. It's just like dropping sleep. And that can last for from a few minutes to about 45 minutes to an hour okay um and sometimes when narcolepsy happens in some in some people with narcolepsy they also experience something called cataplexy mm-hmm. which is when they lose muscle tone so they like fall asleep and also lose muscle tone um and and so if maybe you you notice that your teen falls asleep abruptly in a weird way you mm-hmm. just probably just want to get that check yeah um there are natural ways that like i said that people fall asleep and so if you're not observing that natural pattern but it looks like they just dropped yeah um and that keeps happening then you probably just want to talk to your gp it's probably nothing but mm-hmm. yeah okay well that's a very interesting one yeah it is it because is. it's complete it's opposite to insomnia then in a way that okay they'll just fall asleep yeah so yep. it could be like in mid-conversation and yeah, then the child yeah, just sort of... Yeah. Um, I don't know about mid-conversations, but definitely like just sitting by yourself and just like... Fall asleep. To sleep. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, that's that's a very interesting one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I watched some videos on a girl on YouTube who actually 
has lived experience of narcolepsy and she talks about how she really has to plan her day carefully, thinking through everything she's doing just in case it happens. Yeah. Yeah, because she doesn't know when she'll oh, have an so it episode. doesn't even happen at a certain... No, there's no pattern to it. Oh, <laughs> wow. It okay. Then. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it's a very interesting disorder, but definitely not a pleasant one for people living through that because, no. yeah. No, definitely not. It can, can really disrupt your life. Yes, yeah. especially in the, the pattern of when you talk about the sleep schedule and the sleep hours that you're meant to have. Mm, it can mm. definitely disrupt that for sure. Yes, yes, yeah. if you're like sleeping, yeah. Okay. Perhaps during the day. Yeah. yeah. So mm. when talking about this, what are some effects that sleep problems have on a child's health and also their development in so many ways because you talk about the different ways and then I'm also thinking about the cognitive mm -hmm. disruption that it can have mm -hmm. yes um that's a very very good question um and so I will start talking about, I was, I'll, 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 I'll handle this in two ways. First, talk about zero to five-year-olds, some mm -hmm. of the effects that sleep can have, okay. um, poor sleep can have, and then I'll talk about the, what, six to 18-year-olds. Okay. So in the zero to five-year-olds, um, again, um, the child, poor sleep can be associated with tiredness during the day, low engagement in activities, poor concentration, decreased brain development. Mm -hmm. And I think... This point about brain development is really an important one that parents should note because sleep is important for the child um, to enable the child to consolidate things that they are experiencing and learning during the day, even in babies. Mm -hmm. um, but also sleep is actually really important for the actual development of the brain because there are studies that have shown that children and also adults who have like better sleep mm -hmm. patterns and behaviors have better brain connectivity than people who have consistently had poor sleep over a long duration. Mm -hmm. In addition, there is a system in the brain called the glymphatic system, which is actually a mechanism that the brain gets into to cleanse itself of neurotoxic waste and those neurotoxic waste tend to gather from like you know stressful activities and just things that we're doing during the day mm -hmm. and the brain has a way of cleansing those things out um through this glymphatic system or glymphatic mechanism and studies have shown that the glymphatic system glymphatic system um it's active only during sleep um and during a particular phase of sleep and it tends to be dormant during the day so mm -hmm. it doesn't work during the day so if you're not getting enough sleep to allow cleansing of maybe your child's brain mm -hmm. over a consistent period then they may have poorer brain health oh. over time okay um sleep is also um poor sleep in zero to five year olds can also affect their learning Mm -hmm. Yeah, because sleeping is important for concentration, like yes. I mentioned before. Yeah, it's all, it can also lead to irritability and frequent negative emotions, and um, frequent cold and infections. Mm -hmm. I move on to talking about the effects of poor sleep in the six to eighteen year olds. Okay, so in this age range, we have things like severe headaches, and mm -hmm. um, like I mentioned before, that could be a sign of. Um, the child being at risk to sleep apnea or sleep or breathing related sleep problems. So you want to get that checked. Mm -hmm. Concentration difficulties, short attention span, 
memory impairment um, because sleep helps to consolidate memory. Mm -hmm. And so there have been studies that have looked at uh, recall or abil uh, memory recall of people who have learned exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe one group is allowed to sleep shortly after they've learned the thing and another group is not allowed to sleep. And the group in most of those studies, the group that sleeps, after learning is able to recall better okay and this has also been replicated in children so having your child have a good sleep after a long day at school can be very helpful for them to consolidate what they're learning at school mm -hmm. um kids or and well school school age kids and teens who have poor sleep can also have poor decision making because they can tend to be a bit more impulsive uh moodiness and aggression is also another one they can also be more at a greater risk to mental health problems like depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to show more risk-taking behavior because, again, like the impulsivity. Yes. And there are studies, like neuroscience studies, that have shown that actually after sleep deprivation, the part of the brain that is responsible for impulsive behavior is actually more active. So that definitely explains why like poor sleep can be associated with like more risk-taking and impulsive behavior. Yeah. Um, slow physical reflexes, so they're just a bit lethargic. Um, clumsiness, reduced academic performance, like I, I explained earlier on. And finally, um, poor sleep in, in school age kids and teens can be associated with increased sick days and just tiredness and missing school, more, more days when your child misses school. And just to draw a bit on this point, I've had very interesting discussions with some clinicians who see kids, whether as child psychologists or as sleep specialists. And mm -hmm. um, from my discussions with them, they're just really interesting cases of sometimes a child who hasn't been to school for two to three months because they say, the child says that they can't wake up early to go to school. So they just miss school altogether. Wow. And that goes on sometimes for weeks or months. Yeah. And um, some of the insights from those clinicians is that sometimes the child has an underlying a medical condition or an underlying um, mental health condition mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed. Sometimes the child is actually having genuine sleep problems. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's behavioral. So the child may be using the sleep to just as an excuse to skip school. So um, it's yeah. very, it's safe to not assume what may be going on, that maybe they just want to skip school. Um, the safe thing to do is to talk to your GP or to talk to a sleep specialist or a child psychologist mm. um, so that you can get to the bottom of what's going on with your child. Um, you definitely want to rule out any mental health problems that may be leading to that. And Yes. Yeah. 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 No, that's a very interesting one because I've never heard of a child just not going to school at all. I was surprised. Um, and those discussions have been so insightful. Yeah, I've yeah. heard cases where they're like for a whole month or two, it's not going. I'm, yeah, I can wake up to go to school. I, I honestly, not in my household, that could <laughs> never happen. That never parents. would have been happening. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I was exhausted, I'd still be told yeah. to go to school. Yeah. Yeah. Same in my house. Oh, gosh, you'd be dead. <laughs> like one day. Okay. One day. Don't go. It's fine. But for months on end, yeah. that yeah. is, yeah. that is an amazing yeah. situation. Yeah. It that... must be so difficult for those parents. But yeah. yeah. Like it's... imagine the child also just not being able to function and knowing that they can't. But yeah, it yeah, would be hard yeah. to separate the fact that they don't want to go to school or they mm. literally cannot go to yes, school. Yes, yes. So, so 
yeah, it's very tricky. Yeah, the poor, poor the GP that has to go and discover that <laughs> as well. I know, I know. Um, and I think it's it's great that there is help in the community that yes. parents can can reach out for and um, hopefully get get to the bottom of the problem. Oh yes, um, yes. yeah. So now we're going into my favorite part of the questions yeah. and is talking about the best practices. Okay. So what are some of the best practices, in your opinion, that parents can use to sort of help children develop healthy sleeping routines and healthy habits throughout their life that they can implement to yeah. themselves? That's a very helpful question. So yes. I'm sure like parents are like, yes, get to what we can actually do. Yeah. Um, so again, I'll talk through this based on the developmental um, ages. Perfect. I'll start with the zero to two year olds. Okay. So the recommendations for zero to two year olds, and I should mention that these recommendations are based on research yep. recommendations, but also like recommendations from sleep, renowned sleep bodies on working in these different age groups. Okay. So, um, for zero to two year olds, one of the recommendations is for parents to set bedtimes as early as possible, mm-hmm. but also for parent, um, but also for parents should co- to consider their child's sleep. Um, can I take that again? Yes, perfect. Go for okay. it. Yeah. So one of the main recommendations for zero to two year olds is for parents to set their child's bedtime as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, as I talked about before these kids are supposed to or recommended to have about 12 to 17 hours of sleep so you want to set their bedtime early enough so that they have the opportunity to have that amount of sleep mm-hmm. um, but also do that considering your family's needs and your child's unique needs mm-hmm. um, the second recommendation for zero to two years old is to try to adopt a routine that encourages the toddler or infants to fall asleep independently um, so a parent can set, you know, like bed sleep time routines can go for a couple of minutes to maybe an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to spend time with your child during that time, but try to settle them in bed by the time they are falling asleep and try not to be there when they are falling asleep. So maybe when you know they're really sleepy, 10 minutes to when you know they will actually fall asleep, you just say, mm-hmm. okay, now it's time for you to sleep. I'm walking out okay. so that they have that sense of independence and they're able to develop that sense of, um, the ability to sleep independently. Mm-hmm. Um, next tip is to reduce soothing periods. So um, a soothing, period, soothing or bedtime routine that takes about maybe 45 minutes to an hour is okay, but maybe two hours can be a bit too long because then yeah. a child learns to have that strong association of you being there with them for so long before they go to sleep. Okay, and like that a special time Special with time, them. Yeah. yeah. And that can become a problem later on when you need that time to do other things. Yes. Um, so you want to be mindful of how much time you are spending in the bedtime routine. Um, next is to maintain a healthy and regular bedtime daytime routine but also bedtime routine that suits your family's lifestyle um but also keep in mind that the child needs a specific amount of sleep hours so you want to like be conscious of that and um with regards with parents who have kids who have problems resuming to sleep or getting back to sleep after they wake up in the night it's helpful to know that if the child gets used to maybe breastfeeding or bottle feeding to get to sleep um, they, 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 they form a strong association with that behavior. And so it becomes difficult for them not to have that, to fall back asleep when they wake up in the middle of the night. So you want to be conscious of that and you want to, 
um, gradually help them to sleep independently. Mm-hmm. Because then when they wake up in the night, they can also go back to sleep yeah. independently to some level. Um, I should mention that most behavior interventions in infants and toddlers are focused on reducing and withdrawing parental involvement. That's mainly the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and encouraging the infants to self-soothe or self-regulate to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, it is important to emphasize that most of these interventions will involve some level of protest or crying from the infant. Yes. Because um because they are trying to you're trying to withdraw the the parents are trying to withdraw some of the things that they're used to. And so they will protest. So um, tip to parents is don't feel too bad when they're crying and protesting. Yeah. Um, they will probably do that for a few days and then they start learning what you're trying to introduce. So be kind, but also firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the three to five year olds. The tips for this group is for parents to develop, again, a regular sleep and wake schedule for the child. Try to set set a consistent bed and wake time for the child. So around the same time every day, they should be going to bed and waking up Um, around the same time. Try to move their bedtime to a time when the child is more physiologically ready to fall asleep. So you could see that maybe for maybe your eight year old, there is they, they, they start yawning maybe around eight o'clock or seven thirty. Mm-hmm. So that is their body telling you that this is the time that the child it's ready to sleep. Okay. And so if you set the bedtime closer to that time, they are more likely to fall asleep easily. So the trick is then to start your routine. Maybe if your bedtime routine is for one hour, you started a bit at like you started within the hour of when they will start falling asleep. So mm-hmm. that by the end of the routine mm-hmm. is that physiological um, readiness that that but so that by the end of the routine they are physiologically ready to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, um yeah, and this is important because if you put your child to sleep before they are physiologically ready, they may struggle to fall asleep and they get frustrated. Yeah. And then that will also frustrate because they start crying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I hope that helps. The other tip for three to five years old, five year olds is for parents to maintain a consistent bed time routine. So try to establish a routine that is the same every day. So mm-hmm. for example, you say that as part of your routine, you're reading two books. You can read different books um, within that routine, but it should be two books. Okay. Um, and 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 um, you try to include things that help the child to calm down or that activities that they enjoy. Yeah. And some clinicians that work with children have said that sometimes they recommend that their parents include a snack. So something really little in the bedtime routine and they find that to be very effective. Okay. Um, so you could try that. Not too much of snacking, but just something little to motivate them yeah. and incorporate that in the bedtime routine. Uh, parents are advised to start bedtime routines within 30 minutes to 60 minutes to the child's bedtime and um, to keep the child away from TVs and computers and anything else that can be stimulating during bedtime so that they can concentrate on the routine, but also get into the mood where they can sleep well. Mm -hmm. Um, The next recommendation for three to five-year-olds is is for parents to set up soothing sleep environments. So make sure that the child's room is, well, try to have the child's room be as comfortable as possible. 
um, to be dark. So mm-hmm. you can use lights, but the lights should be dim. Okay. And, and by the time you're starting the routine so that the child can sleep. And this is important because melatonin mm-hmm. is the hormone that um, helps us to fall asleep. And melatonin is released when... In, it's released in response to darkness in the evening. Mm-hmm. So um, when you're starting your routine, your bedtime routine with your child, and let's say you dim the light 60 minutes mm-hmm. well, at the start of the routine. So let's say your routine is going for one hour and you dim the lights at the start. It helps the child to gradually, you know, start releasing the amount of melatonin that they need to be able to, you know, knock themselves out to sleep. Um, keep the room quiet. Night lights are fine, but television is definitely out. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Um, set limits. It's really important for preschoolers that you set limits because the preschooler may try to stall the bedtime routine and say something like, oh, one more story or maybe one more snack. Um, but parents are advised to be sure to set clear limits around that so that you can m- maintain a consistent routine. Yeah. So when talking about the three to fives. Yeah. Um, there's so many like vlogs that I've seen of like the bedtime routine, like family vlogs that set it up and they make it look so fun and so much fun to set up. But I'm, I'm always thinking that is it actually keeping the child awake a lot more? Mm. So what kind of things are in this? So they have like, oh, they brush teeth time and they brush teeth together and they're teaching the kid how to brush the teeth properly. And it seems like a music video for some reason. Like that's how it always taken and i'm always thinking like are they actually putting the kid to sleep or advertising something oh so as you were describing that that was exactly what i thought that they are more like doing adding the music bit to sell their blogs than yeah actually showing what should be done because yeah. maybe having loud music during a bedtime routine is not advisable for you no exactly it's like they're brushing their teeth and they're just like dancing and i'm like you're meant to settle your child down yeah make make it fun from the start maybe brushing teeth and all of it because some kids would try to protest through that but yeah i don't think having loud music and all of that is i agree with you no, yeah, it's it's so it's so funny to me because I'm just watching it like, okay, you should be you should be getting the kid to fall asleep now, yeah, not yeah. like setting them up um, <laughs> to start another day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So I'll move on to tips for six to twelve yes, year olds. Perfect. Um, in this age group, parents are again advised to develop a regular wake and sleep schedule, and maintain a consistent bedtime routine again, and set up a soothing sleep environment for the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, also set limits and to turn off televisions, computers and radios and to avoid caffeine. And I'll, I'll dwell a little bit on this caffeine part because um, you'd be shocked to know how much of caffeine is in bo- is, is um, present in products food products that are targeting kids and yeah so it's not like they're drinking coffee but actually a lot of their snacks and some of the soda drinks that they have iced tea and some other substances have some level of caffeine in it so i mean i knew drinks did but food i didn't know yeah no wow um so um i think the general recommendation there is for parents to pay attention to that yeah actually read the label to see what the content of the snack is or mm-hmm. the drink is and try to avoid giving your child that three to two to three hours before bedtime because it doesn't help much with their sleep mm-hmm. finally i'll talk about recommendations for the 
I'll talk about recommendations for the 13 to 18 year olds. The first one is for, again, to maintain a regular wake and sleep time that mm-hmm. can be overemphasized. Mm-hmm. Um, allow your team to sleep in on weekends sometimes if you feel like they've had a hard week and they just need to a bit more sleep to get by. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely limiting the screen time. So experts advise that within two hours to sleep time, you want to like take away screen exposure to screens. So the phones and the laptops and, and the iPads. And this is because it just helps the brain to unwind, Mm -hmm. but also, um, the brain, when the brain sees light, Mm -hmm. it thinks, okay, I'm supposed to be awake. And Mm -hmm. that prevents melatonin release. Okay. And in, um, adolescence, melatonin is, release is delayed like i explained before it's delayed biologically in these these young kids so you want to put them in a state that helps them to release it a bit earlier even though their system um biologically struggling to do that early enough as they would need um daylight is so important so try to have your team to have some daylight every single day um and especially in the morning so maybe the first two hours of the day you want your team to have maybe 30 minutes of some daylight and you could do something as easy as just having them have their breakfast some in the garden rather than having it indoors just that exposure 15 to 30 minutes exposure to daylight can be so helpful Mm -hmm. um even in activities so you want to have a discussion with your team to decide on how evening activities are going to go. So by what time would they be finishing their homework? And by what time would they be finishing with all the chatting and videoing, gaming? And yeah, I think it's so important to engage your, your team in this discussion rather than maybe handing all the rules to them because when they are involved in the discussion, they can tend to be a bit more responsible for the outcome and mm-hmm. and uh, and it works better. Yes. In, in the, yeah, oh, using that definitely that would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also... You may want to consider getting help for your teen. So, for example, you you may want to look at your teen's schedule to see what activities can be freed up so that they have a bit more time for sleep. You want to evaluate their schedule to see if they are maybe overcommitting in something so that you can free them up a little bit, just a bit of help so that yeah. um, they are at their best because yeah, you're the parent and they, they have some autonomy to make decisions, but you're also supposed to guide them and give them best advice around that so that they are not overcommitting because in teenage years, it can sound so exciting to do everything, but mm-hmm. that might not necessarily be the best for them. And they, they actually need more sleep. Children need more sleep than activity. So yes. um, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, and it's helpful for parents to try to avoid early morning appointments for teens, especially on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So because their biological clock naturally wants to sleep in later if maybe they're waking, having to wake up so early for school every day anyways because they can't do anything about it and maybe they have a morning um practice session also on a saturday morning at seven that's a little bit too much yeah yeah <laughs> so you want to limit that for your team so that they can actually get a bit of more sleep especially on weekends mm-hmm. um naps can help so you can encourage your team to take a short nap after after school just to help them recharge a little bit but mm-hmm. it's healthy to keep the nap, naps under 30 minutes so 20 minutes is healthy mm-hmm. but definitely keep it under 30 minutes um 
if you're concerned that your teen has sleep problems, you probably want to check if they have some mental health issues as well. Okay. Don't talk to your GP about that because sleep problems are very, they are very related, very much related to mental health problems like depression, like anxiety. Yep. So you want to have that checked. Thank you. Yeah. I felt like I was going on a lot with that one. No, but. I feel like especially when it comes to the practices, it needs to be yeah. it needs to be defined. Yeah. And especially with the age groups, like yeah. the different ages are very, mm-hmm. very specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are not there are no set. It doesn't work from zero to eighteen. No, it doesn't. All the work same. Like that. Yeah. So the practices, I think the routine one is really interesting. Mm. Just the routine is very like you have different routines with different age groups, yeah. but still the routine is there. Yes. And for me, it would be so interesting to look into the transition from like zero, from like two to three mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. to what the, how the routine changes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. Because yeah. we talk about zero to two and then three to five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the transition between, is there between like, the, yeah, how do you change that, do that transition into the different ways? That is, um, that's a very interesting question. I think that, um, there's no set rule for like that. Yeah. Because it may look very different for each child, but also for each family. Yes. Um, sure. So I think generally just paying attention to what, what like amount of sleep your child is going to be needing by three and just mm-hmm. gradually transitioning into that would be my best take on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when talking about, um, and I think we've mentioned this a little bit throughout mm-hmm. the podcast mm-hmm. about talking to the GP about different situations to talk about the GP with. Um, when should parents go and seek professional help for their child's problem? Like to what extent will it take between uh, they're just, it's something that's okay momentarily mm. occurring and something that is actual problem? Um. I think that parents should seek professional help when their child has a sleep problem that seems or seems to be affecting their functioning or mm-hmm. that can affect their functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, this should be done even if the child has other... I think it's, it's, it's helpful to do this even if you think the child has other medical conditions that may... that you think is causing the sleep problem. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why I think that's important is because... If maybe the sleep problem can be treated for the child, Mm -hmm. that can even help improve improve their functioning in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Uh, It might not help a lot, but it it could help improve their functioning and their quality of life in some capacity. So you may want to get that checked even if you think, okay, it's because of this condition that they have this this sleep problem. Mm -hmm. You probably want to get that sleep problem assessed and um, treated separately. Yeah. Um, parents can first talk to their GP so that any medical conditions can be ruled out. And if the origin of the child's sleep problem is maybe behavioral because maybe they have certain behavior patterns that doesn't help with the sleep, mm-hmm. you can consider talking to your child psychologist or child sleep psychologist in the community mm-hmm. who can really help with strategies that can um, yeah, improve the child's sleep. Okay. It's yeah, for me, like it's really interesting knowing the difference between okay, the child it, it will pass and something that's an actual mm. um situation that needs like a third party to mm-hmm. talk about and yeah. to help work yeah. through. Because yeah. I know for parents, they're always having that struggle. And I think especially with um the way that I grew up, yeah. my family, the way that 
our routines were for me and my sister were very different. Mm, yeah. Like we fell asleep different times. We had different ways of mm. reacting to go, mm. to get ready to go to sleep. Mm. And I think I was very too energetic for them. <laughs> I was jumping off walls. You were the child. I was that, I was that child that was just running off everywhere. And whereas my sister was the easiest one to put to sleep. Um, she was an angel child and it's amazing. <laughs> But for me, yeah, I was, I think also like after now talking about this and I've also kind of been thinking maybe I was just very tired, like to yeah, that point yeah, where yeah. I was just too tired. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that was my way of saying that I'm too tired, which is it's not a fun way for parents. And no, it's not. I am now going to go home and apologize, apologize. to my parents. Oh, that's so kind. <laughs> for years of putting them through hell, putting me to sleep. <laughs> That's very kind. All right. So now we're going into the favorite part of mine, which is the practice and habit sort of debrief. Mm. Um, talking about like based, we already talked about a little bit about this. Talk about your practices that you recommend for mm-hmm. parents to sort of go through. And now we're talking about the benefits and the challenges that occur. Okay. So what are three of the good positive benefits that it has on sort of setting up routines and building up on routines yeah. and other practices that you mentioned yeah. um, earlier in the show? Yeah, um, thank you for the question. Um, I think that these tips that I've shared are mostly things that parents can work on with a child. Mm-hmm. So they're, um, they're, I feel like, to some extent, easy to apply. Mm-hmm. Um but also I do understand that in some settings they can be difficult to follow. So parents can get help in the community from a sleep specialist or child sleep specialist to to implement them. Mm-hmm. Um, the second good thing about these tips is that um, they've been applied in sev- several settings. So in clinical settings and in some families and most of them have worked. Mm-hmm. And I would say that not all the tips can work for a particular child. Mm-hmm. So pick what works for your child. Try different things and pick what works for your child and implement that because even the smallest of changes can be very beneficial for your child's sleep. Okay. And the final benefit, I um, good thing about the tips, I think, is that um, they are backed by good level of research evidence. Thank okay. You. And with all the positives that come out through yeah. with those practices, there are always challenges. There are. <laughs> um, so what are a couple of the challenges yeah. that sort of occur when going through those basic routines yeah. and situations and practices that you mentioned? <laughs> yeah. So in infants and toddlers, so the zero to two year olds, um, parents can expect a lot of crying, like I mentioned, a lot of mm-hmm. protesting um, when they're trying to get the child to learn to sleep independently. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, a good thing to keep in mind for parents is that it would be helpful in the long run, really helpful if you can gradually win the child off maybe some soothing practices that they're used to that may not be helping with their sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but do that gradually. Um, also factoring in your child's developmental needs and uniqueness. Um, and and um and 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 i hope that you're successful with it mm-hmm. and the key thing is to be kind but also be firm 
in the preschool kids, these kids can often try to stall the bedtime routine. So, okay, one more snack or one more story. <laughs> oh, no, no, mommy, another story, please. I'll cry for another story. Um, again, be kind, but fam, because you need to maintain the routine and they need to get used that this is, to the fact that this is how long the routine takes and they can push their way beyond that yep. so that um, you can establish what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Finally, with the teens, parents can expect a lot of protest, especially around getting them to maybe go to bed a bit earlier yep. so that they can get enough sleep. Um, and and also because their biological clock does not allow that. Did I talk much about that? So in, in, mm-hmm. in teenagers, actually, um, their biological their circadian system actually shifts when they hit teenagers. Their circadian system shifts to about an hour or two later. So biologically, they are feeling, they tend to feel sleepy a bit later than mm-hmm. what you would consider to be usual. And this also happens because melatonin release in teens is delayed by an hour or two compared to what is normal in other age groups. So biologically, mm. teens are really struggling to, 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 to fall asleep. Yeah. And, and that is why it, it becomes also so important to try to put in place all the things that can help them to sleep, like removing the screens a bit early because the screen time doesn't help with melatonin release. Yeah. And trying to create a soothing environment in their room and lighting conditions so that um, they can overcome some of those challenges that are presented to their sleep in terms of like the biological challenges, but also some of the behavioral and (laughs) yeah, other things that can, that can affect their sleep. Um, Sometimes sleep problems in teens may also stem from stress or anxiety or some mental health related problem. So it's important that you talk to your GP to rule out any other concern Mm -hmm. or any other medical cause of their sleep problem before you get too worried about, yeah, yeah, about what's going on. Um, Yeah. Thank you. I think that's, that's, that's the challenges that parents can expect. And I hope I've given a few tips to help manage those challenges. No, I think those those challenges are very, very real. And I know they're very relatable to a lot of different parents and of different ages mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the challenges are very, um, yeah, I can definitely relate to a lot of those challenges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so now how frequent, should a parent sort of go through those practices, like set a routine? Because mm. um, I know that with every child, like there's the weekday where there's school and then there's a weekend. Yeah. Should there be sort of different sets for weekdays and weekends or that yeah. routine should be set in place seven days That's a week? a great question. Um, because of how kids learn and how that when you're teaching a child something mm-hmm. and you change the thing, so okay. much in a different setting, then yep. the child gets a bit confused about, okay, so which one is it? Um, it helps to keep it consistent even on weekdays and weekends. So mm-hmm. it's not like a strict routine. You have to wake up by the clock on seven, you know, but mm-hmm. wake up around this time. So okay. you allow a bit of flexibility even within the week, but try okay. to have the routine consistent. 
because okay. consistency is the only way that um, the tips that I've shared can be successfully yes. <laughs> implemented. Yes. Um, and so if maybe one day, two out of seven days in the week, you do the routine and then the rest of the days, maybe you're too tired to do it, it might not work or it might take a long time to establish it. And you know how kids develop so fast. So by the time, if you are not firm on the routine, by the time you're done, achieving success in that age they've moved on and you need to like adopt oh, yeah. it again yeah so um yeah it's challenging but just um yeah parents are advised to to keep it consistent okay and like we mentioned before there's a lot to keep in mind there's a lot of things to look out for but don't get too worked up about it mm-hmm. pick one two or three recommendations that may work for your child and try to implement those just little steps help okay um so be kind to yourself um and be kind to your child but also be firm and consistent in applying or implementing the tips okay well that that is perfect um so just in a matter of time, um, I might not do the questions from audience. Okay. I think I've sort of mentioned a little bit of yeah, them, yeah. asked a little bit in the interview questions. Great. But I'll just get you to do the open mic and then okay. we can close off because I don't want to keep you here for too long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to get to work. Yes. Okay. Um, so I will get ready the open mic now and then we'll just go into it. Okay. okay. So going into the final segment of the show, I love, also love the show. I love every part of it, but I think open mic is very special because each guest has a very different thing to say. So I know I've explained it a little bit to you and I would love for you to share. I know that you have something planned to talk about as well, so I'm very excited to hear it. Okay, oh, I am as well. So yeah, definitely I'll give you about a couple of minutes to just sort of talk to the audience about anything that you're wanting to share with them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the floor is yours. Thank you. Um, there are two things that I want to share in this segment. So the first is about melatonin use in children. Mm-hmm. Um, so a bit of research has been going on in the US and they reckon that between 2012 and 2020, melatonin use had risen for... Um, Sorry, um, the people had spent about eight hundred million dollars buying melatonin, but also wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also the percentage the percentage increase in melatonin use just keeps skyrocketing, and especially usage in kids. So that led the um, American Association of Sleep Medicine to form a special interest group into melatonin use in children, and they mm-hmm. they, they have shared some recommendations around that. Um, and the main things to keep in mind is that melatonin is a it's so in some countries like if you go to Germany or the Netherlands, you mm-hmm. can't pick up melatonin off the counter. Mm-hmm. You need a prescription to get it. Yeah. But in the US and also in Australia, because it is it's some it's a medication that you can buy without prescription. Um, people sometimes think, okay, it must be safe because I don't need a doctor to approve it before I use it. So um, there is a recognition. Um, I don't know what the picture looks like in Australia, but I'm guessing it could look similar mm-hmm. where parents are using a lot of melatonin in their kids. Um, but the important thing to keep in mind is that this is a sleep um, initiation hormone. Okay. Um, it helps us to start falling asleep. Mm-hmm. And currently there is no good longitudinal data on how melatonin use over a consistent or uh, extended period can affect a child's development or brain. So 
it's it's okay if you're using melatonin maybe a day or two or, or a week or two mm-hmm. but it it's not advisable to have that as a medication or um, part of your sleep routine for years for the child unless it is medically recommended mm-hmm. um and um like i said it's a hormone and it shouldn't be just ingested in the child just because it helps them to fall asleep and you can get to wow. the things that you want to do okay um it's important to talk to your GP about it, even if you find it helpful for your child's sleep routine. Yeah. And um, you could also talk to your sleep specialist about it. And the reason why it's so important to get help and get medical advice about using it is because the dosage and timing of melatonin can have different effects mm-hmm. on your child's brain or um, on whatever sleep problem you're trying to cure. So depending on what sleep problem they have, a specialist would time their melatonin delivery differently mm-hmm. and the dosage differently as well. So that's something for parents to keep in mind. Please talk to your GP about yeah. it before you use it. And the same goes for any other off-the-counter medication that you found that is helping. Um, medications can be good, but you you don't want to just use them because you can get them without prescription. I think it's important that, especially when we are dealing with kids and we don't know the long-term, potential long-term effects of certain medications, that we get the right professional advice around it. Wow. So melatonin is essentially a drug in a way. Well, yeah, it's a a drug that's designed to mimic the brain's natural release of melatonin. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Because it's natural. A little bit more. So it it mimics that um, hormone that's released in the brain and helps it to release faster as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it unnaturally releases it. Well, I'm not sure about unnatural. So like not in a normal way, but a a catalyst, how to put it. Like it helps, it just helps the brain to release it faster or... um, Okay more so yeah. that the child can fall asleep it's a little bit of help but because especially because it has a direct influence on the brain you need to be careful no, especially exactly. if you're using it for a long term period yes. something that gets your child a bit lethargic because you don't know yeah that would be they're... interesting to find research i don't want to find out <laughs> no i know i don't want to find that as well yeah but but but, but the, 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 the committee was very concerned about about yeah. this and so have released these guidelines and yeah well, that's, um, that's a perfect way to end this. Um, <laughs> there is some final thing I want to share. Perfect. Go for it. And that is about sleep outcomes in children with neurodevelopmental conditions, because that's what my research mainly focuses on. Mm-hmm. And I would like to talk mainly about sleep in children with brain injury. So um, sleep problems are very prevalent in these children. Like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, um, there are about 30 to 70% of these children who have sleep problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so for parents who have kids who maybe have had a brain injury just know that if they're having sleep problems it's probably because of the brain injury but it's also there's help that you can get for them so that Mm -hmm. they can um they can sleep better and hopefully that can improve some other aspects of their functioning Mm -hmm. um some common sleep problems in kids with brain injury are insomnia and daytime sleepiness but breathing related sleep problems can also be present in these children Mm-hmm. Um, these problems may be present irrespective of the child's injury severity, their age at injury, their sex, and time since injury. Because um, and so don't rule out that oh maybe they had the injury maybe five years ago. It can't be the brain injury. Okay. Um, yeah. 
because in my in my, one of the research studies that I did actually um we looked at sleep outcomes in young adults who had brain injury when they were child when they were children and we showed that about 40% of these young adults had sleep problems um the pro- main problem with that study is that it wasn't a longitudinal study to look at whether those young adults had sleep problems earlier on but mm-hmm. we definitely showed that even in young adulthood they had sleep problems and so maybe if there's a young adult listening to this this conversation who is having some sleep disturbances it may be related to the sleep to the brain injury but it 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 could also be due to some other mental health or environmental factors in your life um but definitely don't discount it because the fact that you've had a brain injury before makes you more vulnerable to sleep problems um and finally sleep problems in children with brain injury if they are not looked after if if those problems are not treated can be associated with poor cognitive outcomes academic perform problems with academic performance behavior problems emotional problems and poor quality of life thank you no that is an amazing thing to sort of summarize a yeah. lot of what we were talking about yeah. Yeah. and i'm very glad that you're managing to <laughs> and everything up and talk about it. Mm. Um thank you. No, it's very the I'm still baffled by the melatonin one and it's still <laughs> something that is stuck on my head a yeah, little bit. Yeah. Um I listened to a really good podcast on it last week and I was yeah. like, okay, well, parents need to hear this. No, they, um, do. And, they do. And that's why I decided to include it in the podcast um, in this presentation because I think yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I I appreciate that being it's brought kind up. Of scary. No, it is. It really is, especially cuz we don't know a lot about how it affects yeah. kids as well and yeah. it's still something that parents go to thinking that it's okay. So Yeah. And, and, and it may be okay if it's used maybe a week or two, but Yeah. Sometimes because it gets okay, parents are like, "How oh, that work?" <laughs> yeah, I'll keep doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and in some instances, maybe the child has a neurodevelopmental condition, so melatonin is recommended for mm-hmm. the child. Yeah, that is okay. Okay, as long as there is medical support or medical advice to do that. Yeah, that's okay. But I think the part where I'm talking to is the parents that are picking it off the shelf. Yes. Because you're not even sure what dose is. Even in research settings, a lot of the dosing of melatonin for children um, hasn't got very solid research backing. So mm-hmm. a lot of the ideas around how much dose melatonin of melatonin should and should have is based on research in kids with neurodevelopmental conditions. So it kind of reduce that dose a little bit and hope it's okay in younger kids. Yes. Um, so you want to be careful. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. recommended to research it a little bit more for yourself as well. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So um, um, I do want to thank you so much, Edith, for coming on and talking about sleep problems in children and really defining a lot of things that a lot of parents probably didn't know that had an actual label attached to them and had a mm. whole theory attached to them. It's not Definitely. just a car. It's maybe not just be a child acting up it could be something to deal with sleep and it's amazing to mm. sort of recognize that um yeah so thank you so much Edith if there's a way that an audience member would like to get into contact with you is there a certain method that you would recommend to do that um yes so um people can get in touch with me via linkedin so you just look for edith botry Kome. Mm-hmm. botry spelled b-o-t-c-h-w-a-y and mm-hmm. i hyphenate the name so hyphen Kome. 
um, C-O-M-M-E-Y. Mm-hmm. Um, also on on email, so you can get in touch with me via edith.botre at ncri.edu.au. Okay. Um, I should mention that I'm not a clinician, mm-hmm. so I'll not be able to see your child clinically to help with your child's sleep problems. But yeah. if it's about just general advice, mm-hmm. something that you want to talk through, I could probably offer some advice and give you pointers on who you can talk to clinically. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah, and I will have all those links down below yeah. um, and all the email down below as well. So if you want anyone to sort of help talk about research a little bit more, especially yes, on the research. Yes, I am a researcher. Yes. That's what I do. It's, it's exactly yeah. what we have her on. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me. Um, as Thanks always, for having me. I've really um, learned a lot, but also enjoyed the conversation. And I hope that this has been helpful to the parents who tune into this show yes and we will definitely maybe we could have you on for another episode as well (laughs) a little bit more to talk about Mm. sort of different areas Mm. in sleep Mm. problems Mm. as well Mm. thank you yes so uh thank you so much for listening guys and i will always as always see you guys in the next episode you've been listening to raising parents the parenting science insights podcast produced by the parenting science labs a division of lmsl the life management science labs More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent and thanks for tuning in.